Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Uh, How many of you desire for your life to have meaning? Okay, good. Most of us want our life to mean something. When When we die... Uh, you know, people say nice things about us. Um, oh, they were such a wonderful person. They were, you know, a, a good, good friend. They were a loving husband, a loving wife, a good mother. We, I hope that we want the things that people say about us when we die to be true, to be how they really feel about us. Uh, because, you know, when someone dies, you usually don't get up and say, man, that guy was a jerk. I'm glad he's dead. Uh, people, you know, like, oh, he was such a good guy. He was such a good friend. He was such a sweet person. So, so we want it to be true. Um, I was in a, a, a Bible study group or a men's study group years and years and years ago in college, and uh, it was a sailor ministry, and we would always do the devotions on the way to the, the sailor base. We would get on a bus uh, super early in the morning, go up to the naval base outside of Chicago, invite sailors to come down. Uh, they'd come down, we'd play, uh, we'd feed them a good meal, uh, we'd play some games with them, football, basketball, whatever, and they'd stay the night, and then we'd go to church the next morning, and so it was a, it was a wonderful ministry, but we'd always have devotions on the bus on the way up and back, and I remember one day we were coming back, and uh, one of the, the leader was talking about uh, having your life mean something, and he started talking about asking yourself, what do you want written on your tombstone? You know, not, do you want, not, not what do you want on your tombstone, like the pizza, but like what do you want written on your tombstone? When you're gone and there's a monument to your life that will be there until the end of time, what do you want people now, what do you want people a hundred years ago to think about you? What do you want the lasting impression of your life to be? Uh, and I was thinking about that this week and I was looking at some, some tombstones. Uh, you know, Merv Griffin... Uh, his, of course, he was, you know, uh, I'll be right back after this. On his tombstone, it says, I will not be back after this message. Uh, so this is a little funny. Uh, Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc was a man of a hundred voices or a thousand voices. He also was the voice of Porky Pig. On his tombstone, it says, that's all, folks. And, of course, that's humorous, and we, you know, we know who he is. Uh, here's a picture of one of my favorites. And it's not up there. It's back there. It says... I told you I was sick. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I told you I was sick. Uh, I'm gonna get a new thing there. Um, that's pretty. I was like, you know, that's pretty funny and pretty like, hey, I was, I wasn't lying. And so, really, here's the idea. The idea is that your tombstone should summarize not just your life, but what people thought about you. And we should want it to be true. You know, loving husband, kind mother. We should want what is on a tombstone to, to really let people know what our heart was and what our life was about. So if you think about how you want to end your life, it really gives you a perspective about how you should start living your life right now. You should live now how you want people to think about you at the end of your life. So the, the, really the idea is to reverse engineer your life. Start living now the way you want others to think about you later.
Start living now how you want your life to end. Moses said it this way in Psalms 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Martin Luther, when he was translating the, Latin, the Bible into German, he translated, he translated it this way. Teach us to think about death so we might learn how to live. Teach us to think about death so we can learn how to live. So what do you want on your tombstone? What do you want people to know about you when you're no longer here to tell them what your passion is? What do you want the summary of your life to be? In Acts chapter 12, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is he's, he's giving a farewell speech to the church at Ephesus. He is, his, he, he, he is a, he, he, he's going to Rome. He knows what he's doing. He's leaving to go uh, preach the gospel at Rome because that's what God has called him to do. And he, he fully expects to get to Rome, to start preaching the gospel, and to be killed for what he's doing. Now, he is eventually killed for preaching the gospel in Rome, but it's a, years later, it's because he went to Jerusalem first. But he thinks, I'm leaving Ephesus, I'm going to Rome, and I'm going to die. I'm never going to see these people again. I'm never going to talk to these believers again. I'm never going to be able to give them any encouragement or any teaching again. So he, he is telling them in his, his farewell speech, he gives them five things that he wants his life to be remembered by. He says, here are five things that I want you to remember about me. Now, this, this speech in Acts chapter 20, it is the only extended speech or sermon in the book of Acts that is given to believers. Every other sermon, every other message was given to unbelievers. There were some brief messages given to believers, but here in Acts chapter 20, it is the longest sermon given to believers, to those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. And it tells us how we should think about our life, some things that we won't said about us. So let's start reading chapter number 20. We're going to start reading verse number 7. And upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. Paul preached on them, preached to them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. I want you to catch what they're saying here. It's a very important lesson I want you all to get. Paul started preaching at noon. He's still preaching at midnight. Y'all say, I go long. No, I don't. But look at verse number nine. Look at verse number eight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Yucatus, I can't really pronounce his name, being fallen into a deep sleep, and as, he was, as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. This is a severe warning to not sleep in church. <laughs> you sleep in church, you're going to die. And look, I know sometimes I've preached a little long. I've never preached so long someone died. I've never killed anyone with my preaching. Now say, what does this got to do with message? Nothing. I just want to show you a point here that if when I go to 1210, don't be looking at your watch and getting upset because you're not going to make Golden Corral in time. Until I preach so long that someone dies, 
we're fine here. But uh, it gets even better. Look at verse number 11. When he therefore was, uh, and verse number 10, I'm sorry. And Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. So Paul's freaking out. He ain't dead. He's not dead. Yo, yo, I didn't kill him with my sermon. I really didn't. He's still alive. Verse number 11. He therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while till the break of day. So he departed. And they brought the man, the young man alive and were a little comforted. So here's what, here's what happens. This guy falls down and he dies because Paul is preaching so long. Paul starts preaching at noon. At midnight, this guy gets so tired, he falls asleep and dies. Paul raises him from the dead, and then you know what Paul does? He keeps preaching until daybreak. He killed a guy with his preaching, rose him from the dead, and kept preaching. I promise you, if I'm preaching so long someone dies, even if they come back, I'm, so if y'all want me to stop, just someone fake dead. Someone go, oh, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's my sign to stop. Uh, but anyway, so what's I got to do with the message? Nothing. Uh, it just shows you don't complain uh, that I'm preaching too long unless I kill somebody, all right? Uh, so now let's get to the meat of the message. Look at verse number 17. And from Miletus he sent to uh, Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said to them, you know from this day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all seasons. He's been with them three years now. Paul's been in, uh, in Ephesus preaching with them for three years. Um, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by lying in wait of the Jews and how I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both of the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God in faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And how, behold, I go bound into the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I, <clears throat> neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching to the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves... And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For this I know, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, you your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember. That by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And how, be, and how now, brethren, I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. So Paul, he's, you know, he's been there for three years. He's really developed a, 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 a heart for these people. They're not just you know, people that, that he's helped or people that he's witnessed to or numbers to him. These are our, our souls that he has invested in. These are men and women that he has seen come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He has seen them grow in their relationship with God. And he, he's warning them about things that are going to come. He goes, I'm going to leave and there's going to be some wolves coming in. There's going to be deceivers coming in. There's going to be problems coming in. I want you to remember what I have taught you. But he also gives them five statements about how he has lived his life. And these statements, they're not just him bragging about himself. He's not just saying, hey, I'm pretty great. I did this, this, this. No, he's saying, this is my heart. This is how I've lived my life. This is how I want to continue to live my life. And he's really telling them and us, these are five things that you should want said about yourself. The first one that Paul says that we should desire to be said about us was Paul said, I was faithful to my calling. I was faithful to my calling. Look at verse number 24 again. It says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, what I'm doing here, what I, it's not my mission. I didn't choose. God called me to preach the gospel, to share the word of God, to tell people about God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And since the moment he had been saved and called by God, his single focus no matter what he endured, no matter what he faced, he said, no matter what happens to me, God has called me to preach the gospel, and I am going to be faithful to that. No matter what obstacles I face. And look, Paul faced obstacles. He was, he, and he, we'll get to this, but he says, he goes, the only thing I know about where I'm going, you know, the Holy Spirit's called me to go, and the only thing I know is the Holy Spirit told me I'm going to suffer. In every city I go in, I'm going to suffer. And he already had suffered. He'd been beaten. He'd been stoned. He'd been in prison. He knew what it was to suffer, to do what God has called him to do. But he says, no matter what I face, I'm going to be faithful to the calling that God has put on my life. At the end of your life, that's what you are responsible for. Obeying the call that God has placed on your life. Now, here's the thing. God hasn't called us all to be Paul's. We can't all be missionaries and church planners, because if we were, who are we preaching to? Right? We're not all called to go out and start a church or to go to some great mission field, but we are all called to share the gospel where God has placed us. We are all called to share the word of God, the truth of God, the grace of God with the people God has placed in our life. It is our responsibility. And look, it's not our responsibility to make sure they get saved, but it is our responsibility to make sure they hear. And that's not, just, that's not your only calling. If you're a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a grandparent or whatever, every 
area of your life has a calling on it from God. And Paul says, the thing that we should want to be said about our life at the end of our life is we did what God called us to do. We were faithful to what God had for us. So what, are you, what has God called you to do? Again, you're not responsible for the world being saved. You're just responsible for obeying God. Parents, you cannot guarantee that your kids are going to grow up, stay in church their entire life, be wonderful servants of God, maybe go off into the mission field, maybe start churches. Maybe You cannot guarantee that your kids are going to turn out great. Your kids may turn out to be monsters. I know them, some of them are going to. Mainly April's kids. Her kids are going to turn out terrible. But I'm not responsible how my kids turn out. I'm responsible that I teach them while I have them. I'm responsible that while they're in my home, I disciple them. I teach them the word of I teach them why we but what we believe, but more importantly, why we believe what we believe. I don't want my kids to say, well, Dad, what do we believe about this? What do we believe about evolution? Well, I believe, and uh, we, we believe God created everything. Okay, why do we believe that? Just do it. I want them to know why we believe. I want them to understand that this is not just a good book. This is not just some, some sayings or some rules that some man gave us to make our life miserable. I want them to know that this is the eternal word of God. That every jot, every tittle in it is true. That even the maps are true. Now, I don't believe the maps, but I know some preachers believe. I believe everything. You know, it says genuine leather. I believe that. I want them to know that whatever the Bible says is true. That this is the word of God. That God gave this to us, not to ruin our life or to make it hard for us to live, but to tell us how to live a life that is joyful, that is prosperous. Again, not going to have a lot of money. I'm not saying you're gonna have, if you obey this, you're going to have a lot of money. No, but we're going to be happy in the Lord. We're going to be joyful in whatever he's given us. And he tells us how to live our life. This, this book, this Bible tells you how to have a successful marriage. Better than any other book does, any marriage book. Better than any Dr. Phil episode will give you. This does. You know how to do it? You know, we always like to harp on it. I heard this the other day. I was listening to a podcast. And I thought, man, that's good. We as, we, you know, we, wives, submit to your own husbands. You in a happy marriage, women, you get in your place. No. I'll get into it a little bit later. That's not, and number one submission isn't, isn't just blind obedience. Because the Bible also tells us other places for husbands to submit to their wives. So we're submitting to each other, which means we're preferring each other. But also, the Bible says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We'll harp on that submission, but we can just blow over that. We'll just love them like Jesus. You know how Jesus loved the church? He sacrificed everything for the church. Which means, husbands, if there comes a situation in your marriage where someone needs to make a sacrifice, guess who gets to do it? You do. You make the sacrifice. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your hobby. You sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice for your wife. Why? Because Jesus gave everything for you. So you want to be a good husband? Sacrifice, which means, look, this may make some of you mad. Guess what? I don't care. Which means, 
in the middle of the night, and kids love to do this. Our, ours, praise the Lord, Holy Spirit, whatever it is, they don't do this, they're old enough. But I would, our kids would come into our bedroom in the middle of the night, Dad, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Bleah! And I'm like, if you feel like you're going to throw up, go to the bathroom, not my bed. But that means in the middle of the night when the kids wake up and they're sick or they're scared and someone's got to stay up and your wife's tired and she's got to go to work in the morning and someone's got to make a sacrifice of their sleep, that's you, hubby. Now, I know y'all husbands are like, shut up. Stop talking. Hey, that's scripture. Now, again, if, if, the, if the husband's got to get up early and the wife doesn't and she works from home, you know, it's only if it's a sacrifice. If the wife's like, honey, if I get up and stay with them, I'm going to miss the view. That's not a sacrifice. But, honey, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night and I'm exhausted and I've been up, and, you know, oh, I'm just so tired. I'll, I'll, I'll give myself for you. Because that's, that's not anywhere in my notes. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. Yeah, I am. Be a faithful husband. Faithful to your... God's called you to be a sacrificial, Christ-like husband. Be faithful to it. God's called you to be a loving, submissive wife. And again, submission is not obedience. Submission is preference. Husbands, prefer your wife. Wife, prefer your husband. But when it comes to a sacrifice, hubby has to make it. Because Christ made it. But we prefer each other. We care for each other. We support you. Be faithful to that calling. Be faithful to teach your children and say, this is what the Bible says. This is how the Bible says we're supposed to live. This is how the Bible says we're going to run our finances. This is how the Bible says we're supposed to treat people that hurt us, that are bad to us, that are mean to us. And I, my job is to be faithful to teach them and train them and rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if they grow up, get married, move out of my house, and forsake all of it, that's not on me. What's on me is I taught them. I was faithful to teach them. Now, the Bible does say, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Thing is, we don't know how old that old is. Maybe when they're 80 and I'm dead. Don't know. I'm just faithful to train them. It's up to them how they turn. I'm just going to train them. That's what God has called me to do. See, the problem is, most believers, we go through life not caring about or thinking about what God's called us to. So how do we know to be faithful to it? As a believer, you have a task that God has called you to, and we are required to be faithful to it. 1 Corinthians 4 says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found... Anybody know the last word? Faithful. Not successful. Faithful. A steward is a servant. The servant is not responsible for the house. The master is. The servant is only responsible for doing what the master tells him to. Success and failure are up to the master. Faithfulness is up to the servant. God only requires us to be faithful. Here's the thing. God can do more with one faithful servant than you can with 10,000 lives doing it on your own. If we are just faithful to God, God can do more than we could ever imagine. We see that in Philip. So Acts chapter 8. Philip, 
great revival. Seeing thousands saved and baptized and discipled. And God says, Philip, leave that great revival to go in the middle of the desert to witness to one man. He was faithful to do it. And because he was faithful to do it, the gospel went to the African continent where it would never have gone without Philip being faithful. And millions of people got saved because one man was faithful to obey God. Success in life is discovering what God has called you to do and being faithful to it no matter what you go through. When we get to heaven, God's not going to say, good job trying to do it on your own. We want God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is the greatest asset to God we can give. Paul said one of the greatest things that can be said about you is you are faithful to God. Here's the second thing <clears throat> Paul says about himself. Not only was I faithful to God, but he says, I told the truth even when it hurt. Look at verse number 20 of chapter 20. Paul says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And look at verse number 27. And how, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. So Paul, twice in his address to these Ephesians, he says, I told you the truth of the gospel even when you didn't want to hear it. I told you that you were a sinner, condemned and deserving of hell, and that all your worship of these false gods and all your, your sacrifices to these false gods and all your good deeds were going to do nothing for you, and you were going to still go to hell. But God loved you, and he sent his son to die for you. I told you the truth even when you didn't want to hear it. Paul saw himself as a declarer of the truth. He wasn't responsible for how people liked the message, he was just responsible to make sure they heard the message. J.J. Packer said, Paul, in his own estimation, was not a philosopher, not a moralist, not the world's wisest man, but simply Christ's herald. Paul's royal master had given him a message to proclaim. His whole business, therefore, was to deliver that message with exact and studious faithfulness. He added nothing, he altered nothing, he omitted nothing. Paul took this task very seriously. Look what he says in verse number 26. He says, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. This is a quote from Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33, 8 says, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die and do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require... From your hand. So what's going on in Ezekiel 33? In Ezekiel 33, God describes Ezekiel as a watchman. The watchman's job was to stand on the wall of a city and can you guess what? Watch. Watch for what? Watch for shooting stars and pretty little thing. No, watch for enemies. His job was in the middle of the night when everyone else was sleeping and they were behind the walls and the gate was closed to watch and make sure no one attacked. No one snuck up. No one tried to hurt the people inside that wall. And if he saw someone, his job wasn't to go out and fight them. His job was to wake up the army. Say, danger's coming. The enemy's attacking. Now, 
Once he told the army, his job was done. If they got up and fought, that's on them. If he tells the army and they say, ah, oh, it's no big deal, who cares, and the entire city is destroyed, it's not the watchman's fault. Now, if he sees the enemy and he doesn't tell anybody, God said, everyone in that city that dies, you're responsible for their death. Their blood is on your hands. Paul says, my hands are clean because I told everybody. I witnessed to everybody. Those that didn't want to hear it, those that were interested, those that need I told everybody. Paul saw himself as a watchman. He saw himself as a watchman for those that God has placed in his path. See, the gospel is the announcement that man stands under the judgment of God. Because our sin, because we are born rebels against God, sinners against God, we stand under God's judgment and there's nothing we can do to stop it. We can't be good enough. We can't be righteous enough. We, because there is none righteous. No, not one. Because all my righteousness in my strength is as filthy, disgusting, putrid rags. No matter how much I try, how hard I try, how good I am, I can never please God and His righteousness. I can never do enough to make Him see me as righteous. Which is terrible news. But the good news is it doesn't matter. Because God loved me so much that he came in the form of Jesus, took on the form of a man, and he lived a perfect life. He lived a righteous life. He did what I could never do. He completely obeyed the law of God. And then, not just that, he died not just for me, he died instead of me. As a perfect, sinless son of God, he became sin for me, took the wrath of God for me, absorbed the wrath of God for me, and then was buried and rose again three days later to show that the sacrifice was accepted. And all I do is put my faith and trust in Him, and I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am redeemed. I'm saved from death, hell, and the grave because of what He did not because of what I did. And Paul said, everyone needs to hear that message. Everyone needs to hear the truth. Paul said, I don't, I don't shrink from telling anybody the truth of the gospel. Now, he didn't, he didn't see everybody he witnessed to saved. But everybody he saw, he witnessed to. Some of them asked to no more. I mean, he would preach sermons, he would preach the gospel, and two or three people would want to say, I mean, he's preaching to hundreds. Three people come up and say, hey, can you tell us more about that Jesus guy? That's discouraging. Or worse yet, he'd preach the gospel, and everyone would say, hey, let's kill that guy. That's pretty discouraging. Again, look, I've never preached a sermon that killed anyone, and I've never preached a sermon so bad people wanted to kill me. So to me, I'm like, I'm, better than, I'm doing better than Paul in this preaching thing. Because I haven't killed people. No one's wanted to kill me because of it. So, whoo, I'm doing good. But no matter who he talked to, no matter where he was, Paul was clear to tell the truth, even when people didn't want to hear it. Look at his attitude in verse number 19. <clears throat> While serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by lying away to the Jews. Look at verse number 31. <clears throat> And as they went about to kill... That's the wrong chapter. <clears throat> Verse 31. 
He says, therefore, watch and remember that a space of three years I caused not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul said, my heart was broken over people not being saved and people not hearing the gospel. I mourned that people wouldn't hear. What's, what's your reaction to friends and family who maybe you've told them the gospel, they just don't get saved? Or maybe you think, well, they should know. Are you, are you, are you mourning over them? Are you angry that they're not saved and going to join church? Or here's what most of us are, apathetic. It's not my responsibility. If they're saved, they're saved. If they're not, they're not. Oh, well. That's on them. Paul said, I was moved to tears to make sure everybody heard the truth. Spurgeon said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. Let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Man, I want that true of our church. People around us, people around us, they may go to hell, but bless God, they're going to go over our dead bodies. We're going to pray, we're going to preach, we're going to tell whatever, every, and they may not like it, they might not accept it, but they're not going to stand before God and said, people at New Grace never told me. No, they're going to hear, but they're going to go over our weeping, mourning, praying bodies. Do we weep over lost friends and loved ones, over lost nations? You know, sometimes we, we, yeah, we should cry over, weep, and mourn, and teach, preach to our, our lost love. But you know, there are, there are nations in this world, people with, you know, nations that are, you know, several hundred thousand people strong, who have never heard the gospel. Does that break your heart? That they're living in a world where we have, we have the gospel available to us all the time, and they've never heard it. And unless we get busy and we go, they never are. Paul said, I'm going to tell everybody the truth, no matter what they do. Paul's life was marked by telling the gospel. Third thing Paul said was, I pointed people to Christ, not to me. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Now, most leaders during this time weren't very humble, and most people didn't want them humble. Especially people in Rome, they wanted a, a strong, passionate, firm leader. They wanted leaders full of power. And Paul says, I'm just, I'm just a humble servant of God. Now, in this time, this, this Greek word humility, in this time, it literally meant weakness. It meant to be low, defeated, and weak. In Greek literature... In Greek culture, this word for, that we translate humility was an insult. If someone were to call you humble, they were insulting you. But it's used in the Bible 200 times. And it's never used as an insult. It's always used as a virtue. How does an insult outside the gospel become a virtue inside the gospel. Here's the thing. Christianity isn't about great men and great women who do great things and are worthy of praise. It's about a great Savior. It's about the creator of everything. The all-knowing, all-powerful, 
all-present God becoming a man and humbling himself and becoming a servant to die for his creation. Christianity is about the great Savior becoming weak to save broken, guilty sinners. So Paul doesn't want them, he's like, I don't want to be an example for you to admire and someone you, for you to try to emulate. I want to point you to a Savior that died for you. A Savior that if you accept Him lives inside of you and wants you to live for Him. See, I don't want people's attention on me. I want it on Jesus. I want it on Christ. I don't want people to see how great I am because, let's face it, I ain't. I want them to see how weak I am and how great He is. Tears and trials are how God keeps us weak in ourselves so we can be strong in Him. Paul says, I don't want you following me. I want you following God. Fourth thing Paul said about himself that should be said about us. He said, I finished strong. Verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count myself my uh, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He tells me, because the Holy Spirit told me that when I leave here and I follow the calling of God, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be imprisoned. But then he says, but none of that is going to keep me from doing what God called me to do. I'm going to finish the job God gave me, no matter what the cost is. Look, a lot of us, we start really well. You know, January 1st comes along, we all get these, uh, and it's not just spiritual things. Man, how many of us, we, we are so passionate to start a diet. We plan out our, and April, thank the Lord she stopped doing this, but she would always be like, we're going to start eating the Schwarzbein way, or the, the, the Kildimajaro way, or whatever. And so she'd be like, we're going to eat this way. We're going we're to have no more dairy, or we're going to have no more whatever. And, and so she'd buy all these groceries, like, we're gonna, I'm going to make them every single meal, and we're going to do this, we're going to and, and man, she would start great. And then she'd be like, you know what, I don't feel like cooking this garbage, go get us a pizza. <laughs> or we start, I'm going to exercise three days a week. I'm going to run, you know, two miles a day. I'm going to prepare. And we start great. But then, you know, about that second day, you wake up, and you're like, man, my, my legs hurt. I don't think I'm going to continue on. And also, how many of us say, I'm going to read my Bible through this year? I'm going to read it every single day. No matter what, I, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray every single day. I'm going to have my prayer closet. I'm going to make me a space. I'm going to get along. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my, my devotions every single day. I'm going to do devotions with my family every single day. I'm going, to do, I'm going to go to church every Sunday unless I'm deathly ill in bed. I'm going to give to the church no matter what my finances are. We start good. But we, we give up real easily. We plan to do well, but we stop. We give up because things get hard. And there are three reasons... That, that people give up whatever they're doing, whether it's for God or for themselves. First one's pain. You know why I have trouble working out every, every week? Because I'll go that first day and I'll, I'll pull my, my hamstring or something or I'll, I'll wake up on, I'll go Monday and I'll feel great and I'll wake up Tuesday and I'll feel like garbage. And Wednesday I'm like, my legs still don't work, I'm not going. I hurt. 
You know why we stop witnessing to people? We're sick of the rejection. We're sick of the ridicule. We stop praying because our prayers aren't getting answered. And it hurts. We're struggling financially, so we, we stop giving to God. It's easy to quit when continuing hurts. Paul faced that. Paul said, they're going to beat me. They're going to murder me. But I'm going to keep going. Paul was forgotten. He was betrayed. He was beaten. But he continued doing what God wanted him to do. He finished what God started. Second reason we quit is fatigue. When, when what you're doing just isn't working. When you've been on that all-celery diet for three months and you just cannot lose any more weight, what's the point of it? When all you're doing is eating kale and barley green and ain't nothing changing, your health don't feel much better, you ain't getting no sleep, you ain't losing no weight, well, you know what? I felt this bad with Big Macs and, and French fries, so I'm just going to go back to that diet. If it's not working, why do we keep going? You know, no one's listening. We're, we're, doing, we're doing what God's called us to do, but we're, just, we're not being blessed like we think we should be. Paul dealt with that. Again, some sermons ended with just one or two people getting saved. Some ended with them running them out of town. But no matter what he faced, he kept going. Because you know why? Look at Jesus' ministry. His ministry ended in, in beating, and being beaten so severely he couldn't even look like a man, and being crucified on a cross and death. His ministry ended in failure. From man's perspective. But three days later, there was a resurrection. And here's the thing in your life, there can't be a resurrection until there's a death of something. So Paul said, I'm going to keep going if it kills me because I know no matter what I do, if I'm faithful to God, God's going to bring forth a resurrection. Our labor for God is not in vain. Third reason we quit is a divided heart. This is the main reason we give up on serving God. We want to serve God. But other things pull at our heart. We want to we serve Jesus, but man, we really we want the, thing, the comfortable things of life. We want people to get, you know, we want to give generously, but we want to buy things. We want to follow Jesus, but we want to follow our own desires. We want man's approval, so we give up. In Psalms chapter 86, David, he is praying to God, and he says, God, give me an undivided heart so I can walk with you. Take away these things that seal my affection so I can focus on you. Paul said none of those things moved him. He wanted to finish strong and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, I don't need your approval. I want it. I want you all to think I'm a good pastor. I want you to think I deliver a good message. But here's the thing. If I'm doing what God's called me to do, and I'm doing it the way God's called me to do it, and I'm serving God with all my heart, no matter what, and you don't like it, I'm not doing this for you. I want God to be pleased with me. And if God's for me, what can man do to me? Well, they can kill you. They did Paul. Well, you know what? Paul won that battle. Well, they cut off his head, and he woke up in heaven. I don't think he lost. I think he won. But Paul said, I'm going to finish what I start. I'm going to finish strong. Second, fifth thing, and final thing Paul said that marked his life is he says, I gave more than I took. Look at verse 33. 
I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Then verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and remember the, Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is, more, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said, my life means something because I gave more to people than I took from them. I gave more to you than I took. That's what Jesus had said, but that's also what Jesus did. You know, you look at Jesus in the Gospels. The Bible says foxes have holes and birds have nests, but Jesus, he had nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a, And he could have, look, in this time, as a traveling preacher, he could have made a bunch of, now I know he's God, he doesn't need to make a bunch of, I mean, he could have literally made a bunch of money. Be like, hey, I want a house. There's a house. Let there be a mansion. He could have done that, but he didn't. He could have made money and gotten into He didn't. He said, I, I didn't come to serve, to be served. I came to serve others. Paul says, I didn't come to take from you. I mean, remember, when Paul gets, before he gets to Ephesus, he's building tents. He's in it. He goes, look, three years I've been here. I didn't take money from y'all. I didn't take presents from y'all. I served God. I did what I had to do to survive and pay my bills. But I took, I gave more than I took. You know, Jesus, the night before he's about to die, he, and he knows he's going to die. He knows this is my last night on earth. He gets all the apostles together, and you know what he does? He washes their feet. He's dying for them, and he washes feet. Look, I'll be honest with you. If I know I'm dying for you in 24 hours, I'm not washing your feet. It's me time. All right? I want you to, you get me a steak and lobster. You get me, or you get me whatever I want. It's me time. We're going to spoil me because I'm dying for you. But Jesus said, I'm dying for you, but I'm not going to take from you. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to serve you. Jesus always gave more than you. And that should be, that should be your, your goal in every relationship you have. Give more than you take. In marriage, do you serve your spouse more than you expect them to serve you? See, marriage isn't two people doing what is expected of them because of their role. It is two people loving and serving and trying to outgive each other. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do whatever I can for her because I want to give more to her than I take from her. Look, that's a, that's a good goal to have. We got kids here, so I'll be looking. In every aspect of marriage, give more than you take. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all get it later. Google, no, don't Google it. But give more than you take. Do what, and that should be your goal in, every, in, your, in your job. Now look, I know you, go, you don't go to work so you can serve, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to work for free. No, don't do that. You need to get money, but you want to get a raise, you want to be, be considered the best employee that they've ever had. You give everything you can. Even if you're like, but they're treating me poorly, it doesn't matter, give it. With your children, give more. Kids, give more to your parents and you take from them. And look, I'm a parent, I know. You take everything. My money, my energy, my will to live. Eventually, give more than you take from that. We should be giving more than we take in every aspect. Your job, what, who is your job? Who is your money-making potential for? Is it about taking all you can get or is it about leveraging 
your talents for God. As believers, we don't make money so we can have more. We're, God blesses us with the ability to earn money so we can give more to others. Paul wanted to give more than he took because he knew there's one relationship that is always going to give me more than I can give him. That's my relationship with God. Paul knew no matter how hard I work, no matter how hard I try, Jesus is always giving me more than I can ever give to him. I'm always going to take more for God than I can give. He, Jesus gave up more for Paul than he would ever be asked Paul to take, than he would ever ask to take from Paul. Jesus gave up his life, his fellowship with the Father, and he asked Paul, all I need for you to do is to be faithful and obedient. We can never repay Jesus for what he's done for us, so we should give more than we take in every other relationship. With my wife, with my kids, with my friends, with my resources, I should give more than I ask people to give to me. I should give more than I take. In what Paul thought was his final message to the church at Ephesus, and we know it's not, because we have the letter to the Ephesians. But he thinks, this is my last message, this is the last words I'm going to give them. He says, here are five things I want to be remembered by. I was faithful in everything Jesus called me to do. I told the truth to people, even when they didn't want to hear it. I pointed people to Jesus instead of me. I finished strong, and I gave more than I took. If when, I'm die, when I die, those, can be, those five things can be on my tombstone. Because I'm not, I'm, you know, hypothetically, because I'm not having a tombstone. Uh, April's going to cremate me and throw me over the, in the ocean somewhere. I don't care. I don't want a tombstone. But if, if I had a tombstone and those five things could be said about me, he was faithful to God. He always told people the truth of the gospel no matter what. He pointed people to Jesus. He finished strong. And he gave more than he took. That's a good life. That's a life well-lived for God. Can those things be said about us? Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.